Sound Pages is a literary series featuring resident artists in the Jack Straw Writers Program. The difference between a grandmother calling and a grandmother not calling is what the typhoon leaves behind. This program features the work of 2022 writer Julie Feng. In the first half, you'll hear a conversation with curator Michael Schmelzer, recorded in the Jack Straw studio. Why don't we start off by having you tell us about your Jack Straw project? My Jack Straw project is I'm working on a collection of poems through the framework of the Hakka Hill Song. Um, so I'm Hakka through my maternal line, and hill songs or, or mountain songs are sort of this oral storytelling tradition. Um, and they have some loose formal elements like four-line stanzas with seven characters or syllables, as you would translate them in English probably. But the thing I was drawn to about the Hakka Hillsong framework is the ways they could be containers for some of the themes I was already working on. For instance, the way they kind of layer everydayness with deeper cultural contexts. So for example, they'll be about everyday moments of like love or, or labor or leisure. Those are like the three L's I think about when I think about the themes of the Hakka Hill songs. So, you know, the lyrics will be about, oh, I'm doing chores today or I'm flirting with my crush. Um, but they often conceal deeper themes if you read in between the lines a little bit. Mm -hmm. And you'll hear, if you listen carefully, stories about things like resistance against colonial powers and, you know, women's agency or like protest songs that are about the preservation of land or the preservation of shared cultural memory. And I was thinking through them and I was like, oh, this is kind of the way my family holds stories in the way that we pass stories down in this like multi-layered way that doesn't always necessarily like address like capital A address mm -hmm. important issues like capital I important, <laughs> um, you know, but actually I think, don't they? I think about moments where I've heard a story from a family member and then years later I found some context about that story was missing and it, it shifts it a little bit or it, it gives it deeper nuance. I think one I was thinking about recently is how my popoa, which is my mom's mom, I always knew that she lived in Japan for some time before I was born. You know, she would tell stories about her time in Japan and she, she would brag like, oh, did you know that I speak Japanese? Like, for some reason, I like never asked the right questions about it. You know, I always mm -hmm. assumed that the story was she lived in Japan for some time, like maybe before my mom was even born, you know, when she was a young woman and... Maybe it was for like a year or two. And like just recently I found out and it was because my sister who, you know, is much more social than I am and also like much better at Mandarin um, asked the right questions and finally learned that she lived there for like eight or nine years during my mother's adolescence. Like it was a huge 
shift in the way I thought about like my mother's life even. Mm -hmm. And it, it sort of made me think, oh, this is why my mother mothers in the way that she does, for example. And I, I was missing this like huge context, even though the stories had always been there. You know, when my grandmother would be like, oh, I was in this Japanese marketplace once and blah, 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 blah. So because of moments like that, I think about, are we asking the right questions in our stories or to our stories? Mm -hmm. And that's sort of one of the things the project is about. I want to ask you about, uh, in your project description for the Jack Straw application, you mentioned this idea of damage-centered frameworks versus what the indigenous scholar Eve Tuck said as desire-centered framework. And I would just love to know a little bit more about that. Um, I don't know uh, too much about that, so I would, I would love to be educated a little bit on that. And I would love to know how that relates to your writing. Yes, absolutely. I'm obsessed with Eve Tuck's work. So Eve Tuck wrote this open letter mainly aimed at researchers from quote unquote like marginalized backgrounds. Um, she's an education researcher. And she was talking about how even when it has really good intentions, research that centers on pain and trauma and suffering can perpetuate a lot of harmful consequences. And I started framing research questions that way first. And then I also started asking myself, what would happen if I followed this framework in my poetry too, or in my storytelling work? Like, what if I centered the visions and wisdoms and power of all these complex communities of people rather than centering trauma and oppression? And for one, it flipped my thinking about you know, these family mythologies that I'm working on as thinking about how these storytellers in my family, in my community, weren't hiding trauma or hiding from trauma even, but that they were instead just centering something different, mm -hmm. centering something else, centering what they felt, what they wanted, what they knew in their guts instead. And Sometimes these stories are really contradictory and they don't fit in like a, they don't fit in a neat lyrical narrative. And as a storyteller, as a poet, I want neat lyrical narrative sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I'm like reaching towards it. Sometimes I like construct it falsely in my first drafts, you know, mm -hmm. yep. but like with the work on desire centered framework, which is like, what does the community want? What does this individual want? And sometimes those things are contradictory or they're nuanced and complex and they're not just like noble and pure. Mm -hmm. Those types of stories are, I think, much more interesting and in what I want to go towards because they share something about people that is more than their traumas and their oppressions. Yeah. I also think that it's really important to note that like, this doesn't mean that I'm trying to ignore like power dynamics mm -hmm. or like systems of racism and capitalism, state sovereignty, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, those things are obviously really crucial to account for. The violences of those forces are inherent in everything that is culturally produced pretty mm -hmm. much. But it does mean that like what is centered, just like who your audience is, says something about the politics of your poem. And by politics, I mean like what stake and power it has. You mentioned storytelling a lot and poetry, and I'd like to know what is it you'd like to leave a reader with 
when you read your poems or when you when you're writing them like what is what is the takeaway if you will I think I want to remind the reader about the constructedness of everything and what I mean by that is I want stories that interfere with power mm-hmm. um, I want that to be very clear that's my that's my stake in power I want to interfere in it I want my poems to be like little protest songs in a lot of ways, little riots in some ways. And (laughs) I will also say that's what I want, not necessarily what I think I've achieved. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I hope that I can keep working towards that goal. But I also think the things that I want to do that are more successful, (laughs) hopefully, are to like memorialize and celebrate and understand. And again, I keep coming back to this, but like, and to question what is almost forgotten or what can be easily forgotten or what would be forgotten if I didn't write it down. And to go back to like the constructedness of everything, I want to also disrupt the common sense-ness of things. So by that, I mean like how we take everything that's culturally constructed as granted. Um, I think borders is my big example that I always go back to. People think about them as like natural things, but they're not natural things. They're, they are constructed. Um, and by constructed, it doesn't mean not real or not impactful or not powerful or not, you know, impacting people's lives. But when I remind people that things like borders are like violent constructions, it also reminds them that you can construct your own things or communities can construct their own things. Like we can construct new worlds too. And I think It sounds trite, but I think writers will know this in their hearts and guts. Like, words can do that. Words can create these constructions of new worlds in ways that nothing else can. Um, You asked, what is the story I want to tell? And I I mentioned this a little bit before, but the story I do not want to tell is stories like, immigrants are people too. We belong here. This is our home. I think those stories have a place, obviously. But I think that, like Eve Tuck said, even these types of stories that have good intentions, because they're centering on empathy, et cetera, mm-hmm. can actually reinforce the common senseness of something like borders. Mm-hmm. And I want to move away from that if possible. Now we'll hear a selection from Julie's live reading. Our old mountain songs come from women who have always worked. We hear their lyrics settle the tendons of our shoulders. The songs say, here's how to pick tea. Lift two leaves and a bud with loud hands and a sweet throat. Remember where we might go. The songs say, here's how to hawk what you've taken from the hills, louder than hands and sweeter than throat, far and farther still. The work will always be there, 
mulberry leaves for the silkworms, chestnuts for the snuffling boars, lemongrass cut in the rain. The songs will always be there. Our tea-picking tunes passed from land to throat to throat to hand. Our work, our songs, our damned days. Our old mountain songs come with women who move away from the mountains still. We hear our hills that now dwell in our hands. My next one is called wolf peach, and wolf peach uh, is the Latin classification for tomatoes from a 1767 taxonomy book that was a major founder of scientific racism. And I wrote this to sort of think through questions of how we can disrupt structures like racism that were founded through, you know, like pseudoscientific classification systems, but have real and deep consequences. My father grows tomatoes in a glow of dark soil next to the warehouse where for many hours of the sour day, he carries boxes and bitter. They swell fat with sharp water, their navels plumping towards palms, their petioles tender where the stalk joins the leaf to the sturdy stem. Vegetable, like race, is a social construct. Fruit, like body, is an act of flowering. My father's hands touch each rough meristem, reach against the globes of smooth acidity. He bends to lift each one, thumbs patting green stars. Name, like flower, is a category of soul. Hand, like vine, is a way to classify. My father's pinnate ribs arc over the climbing vines. He plucks orbs at first bloom of blood. He waits to pull and break at brush of dusk. Someone once said this flower is the same as this other flower. Can it be unsaid? Someone once named you a name too watery to taste. How do you begin to be renamed? And here is Haka Hill song number two. They're not in order. Um, they say she came from a place where the cassid trees grow gilt and the brisk riverbeds rise steady towards the greening roads. Her whole life, she was immured by the arms of crumbling men. And so for every song she sang, there was a verse unsung. They say capsaicin stains her fingertips when she pours hot oil over peppers and dreams of a far-found world ablaze. We've never seen how the heat sears her eyes like they say, only her closed lids fuming, sealing shut the brimming steam. We've never heard her say how she went where she went, why she left when she left, or who was still there when she winged away. She says she's from a valley at the muggy foothills of a sea-worn place. Someday, she says, she'll bring us there to see. We start to hear the unsung tune, what savoring sounds like, the voice that calls you home as dusk descends the brisking air. Tales. 
My father tells me of plucking wings off the writhing bodies of dragonflies. He can still smell the smoke rooting across the rocks. Rose stone is what they called it back then. Rising wrists of incense and fleshy buds, the scent of a temple garden here again. The scene unfolds in front of us. Two boys, a kitchen knife, the still squirming tail of a wall dragon. They feel the triumph of childhood, from the low rafters of the wood shack to the rose caverns and the cattail lashes. They slip past the temple, through the blushing latticework, around the corner towards the banks of still water. Serenades of rose stone to skip, to blossom, rock and skin. I urge on, but here my father surrenders his tale. This one is cyclogenesis, or the birth of a storm. Every year since the year we left, the storms stir faster there. The waters wheel and upon the sea, every island waits again for rain. The difference between a hurricane and a typhoon is sociogeography. The storm begins the same, warming of the sea surface, instability of the air, high humidity in the lower to middle levels of the troposphere, an inertial force, a pre-existing disturbance, and low vertical wind shear. The difference between this day and that day is a line that cuts through the sea. The sea holds the storm the same way my mother holds the phone. Every year, another cyclone grows. The difference between a grandmother calling and a grandmother not calling is what the typhoon leaves behind. Haka Hillsong number seven. Have you heard the song about the girl who sold sugarcane juice? She was from the seaside, but now she lives in the hills. In 1993, at the foot of Mainong Mountain, the people sang in palm-leafed raincoats as the dam drummed through. Have you heard them singing? The boy who will never leave this town. The deckhand who left the trawler bobbing at sea. The shop clerk clicking her tongue. The taxi driver against their rusting hood. The uncle slow roasting sweet potatoes so the air fills with syrup and song. Have you heard the trill of the chrysanthemums up marching through the soft breathed night? In 2003, a bard said he would not sing again until Ime Lake was clean. So, have you heard the hollow? All right, my final poem today is called Carapace. My grandmother was the first to tell me my first word. She was there, and though I was too, it's not something I can hold. She said to me, you were a child of tongue and temper, and like me, you were meant to leave and always be leaving. You were meant to carry your home on your back, and like the women of our line, cross waters bearing the weight of our own marrow. 
My grandmother tells me that to know the true name of a thing is to have power over it. All my life, I protect this spine, only to forget the softness of my belly and throat. My belly believed itself a host. My throat has been without homeland for a thousand years. What words became bone, only time will tell. What words became shell, only home can hold. And so we hold, and we hold, and we hold. Thank you, everyone. Sound Pages is a Jack Straw production, produced by Carlos Nieto and Daniel Gunther at Jack Straw Cultural Center. Our recording engineers are Daniel Gunther, Joel Maddox, and Ayesha Ubiadelica. Our theme music is by Ron Park, produced through the Jack Straw Artist Support Program. The 2022 curator of this program is Michael Schmelzer, and the narrator for this podcast is Carlos Nieto. The Jack Straw Writers Program was inspired by an over-the-back fence conversation in 1996 between author Rebecca Brown and Jack Straw Executive Director Joan Rabinowitz. The program is made possible with support from the City of Seattle Office of Arts and Culture, For Culture King County Lodging Tax, the Washington State Arts Commission, Humanities Washington, the National Endowment for the Arts, the Rainier Foundation, Arts Fund, and individual contributors. Special thanks to Maddie Lotz and Cassie Nicholson for transcribing our writers' interviews. All of the writers heard in this series are published in the Jack Straw Writers Anthology. You can subscribe to this and other Jack Straw podcasts through your favorite podcast app. To hear more episodes and learn about our other programs, visit us at jackstraw.org. Thank you for listening.